Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. So glad you're here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we have a busy hour. Listen, it's been a real busy 48 hours uh, with courts, with the elections, with all the goings-on in Washington, D.C. Sadly, the crime and uh, lack of punishment in this country with illegal immigrants running rampant in all our city streets. And now we got dueling presidents at the border. Uh, with me for the full hours, the former Speaker of the House, Kev McCarthy. And, Mr. Speaker, I know you're a former Speaker because I've never seen you dressed down. And, like, I'm looking – if you guys are watching Fox Nation or watching on the app – it's cool. You look good, casual. Is this what you like in California? Yeah, but I, I got to fly right after this, and I thought it was radio, but yeah. Right. I've got to tell you, we've got three cameras here, <laughs> and then if you say anything newsworthy, this yeah. is going to be the clip that's on. Right, First right. off, your reaction to Mitch McConnell leaving, how often did you work with him? How productive, how would you describe that relationship and your thoughts about his gradual exit? No, the f- first thing I want to do, I want to congratulate him. He's the longest serving leader on either side in the Senate. Regardless how anybody ever feels, being leader is difficult. It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, but the one thing I want everybody to, to think about, this Supreme Court, and you could judge on it, but it's a conservative Supreme yep. Court. We would never have it if it wasn't for Mitch. Mitch stood up when others didn't to get through the judges when he did, and you know the pressure that comes on all the fights? Historically, he will always be there. Um, he is a great... Um, statistician. He's great putting out strategies. Um, I worked with him a lot. The Senate has different rules than the House, right? As Speaker, I could put something on the floor. He's He's got to get 60 votes for everything. He can hold things up. He plays it well when he's sitting in the minority. We would meet, we, we would disagree, but I would tell you, like when, when we walked into the Fiscal Responsibility Act, he could have undercut me and he, he did not he stood there and in, in the White House, he says, I'm going to support whatever uh, Kevin agrees to. Wow. I mean, and that gave us the strength to cut $2.6 trillion, to get welfare reform, to get NEPA reform. We never would have been able to get that. So, look, there, there's times and places. Uh, I just want to congratulate him for his service. So who would you think would be next? I know it's not your side, but you know these guys. Yeah, the, you know, you got the three Johns. They're all – Barrasso, Barrasso, and Cornyn. They're, Cornyn. they're all capable of doing it. They, Look at um, Cornyn has done the whip job. He's been uh, the NRSC job. Thune's in the whip job now, showing the leadership. Barrasso has been moving up a strong voice. And, you know, there could be somebody else, but it's much different. Remember, this isn't like Speaker. You don't have to have 218 votes. You just need a simple majority of, of Republicans. Of Republicans. That's all you need. So, look, the way I've always looked at it, we take all the names out, everybody will write something and judge. I've been leader when I was a freshman in California. I've been leader uh, in the state house. I've been leader in Congress uh, for five years. I say the best rule of thumb at night, look at the number of members who are around the other members because 
that's a natural sign of leadership. They want to be around you after hours to talk about ideas to do others. It's not what the press writes about. It's who they respect and who they want to see. Because you got to find out. Is the thing is too, you can't do it if you want high popularity ratings. Am I correct? Oh no, it, it's because, nothing but he's a got eighty percent approval rating. Look, there's a lot of people who you'll have on your show who come on every day and always they, they should be a college professor with a big red pen. They always want to circle something that is wrong. They never want to tell that it's right because remember. Our government is designed that you're going to have to have compromise at the end of the day. So how do you move it to the most conservative point but lock that into law? Every day I could stand up here and say what's wrong with the bill because it doesn't go 100 percent. But all it does is take you off the cliff and you go further further to the left because you're not passing anything. You've got to be a conservative that's willing to govern. I mean that's the thing that Reagan taught us. Right. A couple of things going on with the former president of the United States and the president of the United States both going to the border. Clearly, Trump was going, mm-hmm. uh, and he said a couple of weeks ago, so he's there with Sean Hannity. He's going to Eagle Pass. He's going to go to Shelby Park, which the governor of Texas basically cordoned off, yeah. and, it's, and it's worked. It's been effective. The president's backed off on that. He's going to Brownsville. The Brownsville thing is going to be about, wow, the wall's good. We only had seven people come through yesterday. And the reason why other areas are bad is because that bipartisan legislation was kicked to the ground and was stopped by President Trump. How you know politics, you know reality. Nobody's going to believe that Democrats are stronger on the border than you guys. But did Republicans lose leverage? Look, the thing, you made a good point. Two presidents going to the border. You first have to analyze this. President Trump going to the border is not his first time. When he sits and talks to the border agents— He'll know him on a first-name basis. He did this as president. I went with him numerous times there. I've, I've been there numerous times after he's been president. I watched. I've been to Eagle Pass a number of times. I've watched that development there, and it, it's atrocious what has happened. I give a lot of praise to Abbott. He's had to fight everything to try to slow. It's cost you millions. It's cost oh, you millions. billions. Billions of dollars. But what's happening was he's been successful. We're now watching all these Chinese coming into California. Uh, they're coming from 150 different countries, but this 24,000 last fiscal year. President Biden, thank you for going to the border. This is the second time. He, he's been to just as many dinners with um, Hunter Biden's um, business partners. partners than he has to the border. So, I mean, that's the point. But what, 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 he, what the country has to realize is no new legislation passed and the border has become a major crisis. In last year, February of last year, we caught more people on the terrorist watch list. And think about how hard it is to get on the terrorist watch list. In that one month of last February, then we caught the entire time that Trump was president. Think about that. In one month, you caught more people. on We were catching people from Yemen coming into California, not on the same day. How do you get on a terrorist watch list? How are you from Yemen where we're, where we're sending our cruise missiles against the Houthis and they're coming into our country what about the people we're not catching? All of this has transpired right. under the executive orders of President Biden. I want you to hear what Congressman Robert Garcia said, blasting Trump and crediting Biden. Cut five. His visit tomorrow is nothing more than a massive political stunt to try to get reelected. I wonder if you could speak to Republican claims that Biden's trip is also a political stunt. Republicans that have been screaming and yelling and complaining and begging uh, the president to go to the border now. Um, for for months, and so the, so for any of them to now say that uh, it's political, I think, of course, is just uh, totally another insane statement by any Republican. You know him? <laughs> yeah, I know who he is. Uh, look, at, he, he's just trying to spin. But you know what we did when I became speaker? 
I started to have hearings down at the border just to get to the Democrats. Right away, when you got became- yeah. and the, and the, they wouldn't even come. They have ignored this border, saying it's not a problem. And now it wasn't until Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina that it's the number one issue in everybody's mind. In the state of Massachusetts, there's not one Republican member there representing in Congress. But do you know the state of Massachusetts has a state of emergency the governor has declared based upon the southern border? Your own city here in New York, the mayor wants to change the sanctuary city. The governor of New York, the greatest crisis they have is immigration of the southern border. And that's all stems from who is president today, who on the very moment that he was sworn in as president on January 20th, you know one of the first things he did was stop finishing the wall. So he left the holes in the wall. There is very little area that you have to finish. Well, the White House said this yesterday to Fox News Digital. We welcome local law enforcement support and cooperation in apprehending and removing individuals who pose a risk of national security. When a local jurisdiction has information about an individual to pose a threat, they urge them now to call ICE. How significant is that? ICE won't do anything because this administration won't let them remove somebody. And now we're having Americans killed by these individuals coming in. We don't know who's all in here. Think about it. You had two and a half million people just in the last year come across this border. But from 150 different countries, if you go down, you talk to the ranchers, which I've done many times, they will find dead bodies there. The grandchildren finds them. Yeah. They they get kidnapped. They get pushed out of their homes. You know, in the Tucson area, it's all controlled by the cartels, okay? All different segments. The Sinaloas control the Tucson area. When people come across that border, if you come without paying, the Sinaloans kill you, right? But every person who comes across is wearing a camouflaged outfit that, you, that you're given by the Sinaloas. Even on your shoes, you have carpet so they can't trace you. This is people, they don't want to get caught. And the majority of people who are coming, overwhelmingly 70%, are single males, so why would you pay a cartel to not get caught? Because everybody else walks up because you get a free cell phone. Right. You get to go into the country, and American government will actually pay to fly you to So obviously the sanctuary city thing would have saved this uh, woman's life, this uh, Lake and Ryway. Yes. Uh, because Young we would have been able team. to have ICE come in and go, this guy's a problem. Number one, you get arrested, you should be going to jail. He was but driving. he was arrested before. Yes. So he should have been deported right away. Uh, having said that, Mayor Adams comes out and says, I want to do some changes when it comes to ICE. I want to get them more involved, even though I want him to get it totally out. He does not have the power. So he wants to bring it up to the city council just to show you how insane these people are locally. This is Adrian Adams, a speaker in New York City Council on the change of sanctuary city policy. Uh, cut 11. We are not considering laws, changes to laws. These laws have been in effect for decades. We believe in them. We also feel that public safety, of course, is of utmost importance. But when we start refuting back to times where, uh, where, where migrants, immigrants um, feel threatened, we don't just have one ball of wax. We have an entire picture of a scenario, of a situation. And if the council were to change things, it would impact more people I believe, um, negatively than a small fraction of what we are looking at right now as far as this scenario is concerned. What do you deal with people like this? Oh, no. They don't care about a young woman's life. Yeah. So, so you know what's interesting? I, I find this in California and San Francisco and other places. They allow illegals to vote in local elections. I don't know how they, that's they, constitutional. They, they put a non-citizen um, on the election board. 
And I've watched now Democrats on the floor saying these individuals who came here illegally and we're, we're all immigrants through our families that somehow they should have greater rights. In California, they get free health care. Now you've got a, a Democratic member who wants to give them a benefit for, for home loans. As it's our taxpayer. You know, California under Gavin Newsom went from a surplus to like a $73 billion deficit. He's and he's disaster. encouraging more illegals to come. Do you know that he – you live this, but with his change and push for electric cars – he is now going to be and burying the lines, I guess, for fires, which might be a worthy cause. By doing these carbon taxes, everyone's going to get, on average, 50 cents more per gallon that they're going to be paying for gasoline as a lot of these green mandates roll the, in. The other thing, too, is you're not going to be able to charge them because there's this great editorial. And I may get the statistics wrong, but right now, based upon his policies, our grid has actually shrunk. And we need our grid to go, yeah. grow double, right? And he's gone after energy policy. He, he, he won't renew a new um, oil well. But he, he's now importing more oil from Ecuador when California could actually produce it. But not everybody has an electric car in California. But when the heat gets really high, he tells you not to charge it because it's only taken a small percentage of the grid. But if it goes in effect, everybody has an electric car. It's going to take up 12 to 14 percent of the grid. That we don't have. But all this stuff is coming due. All these, these pie-in-the-sky green mandates are coming due. Well, you're and nobody it. wants to do it. No, it's because they try to control government to mandate their views on everybody else instead of conservatives mm-hmm. like us that want people to have a choice. You want to buy an electric car? Buy an electric car. But why do you take my tax dollars to subsidize it to give a benefit? So somebody who's making one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000, I'm going to take a taxpayer right. tax money from someone we're making 50000 to buy you a car? You know, I think Kevin McCarthy's telling me he's going to be in Florida soon. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, listen, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade show, uh, the former Speaker of the House, wait, Kevin wait, McCarthy. Wait, wait, wait. Why is the camera always on you? Uh, oh, okay, fine. Oh, oh, it's only till I mention it. Right. Well, it, it heats up when I talk. Uh, listen, back in a moment, uh, more with the Speaker. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So yesterday, finally, Hunter Biden goes behind closed doors, and it was so encouraging, I guess, for Republicans, I would think they want him out front and center to testify for the public to see, even though Abby Lowell said this. He's the attorney for Hunter Biden. Cut 13. This mayor is a left-wing nut job into wokeism. Oh, I'm sorry. 23. 
It seems to me that the Republican members wanted to spend more time talking about my client's addiction than they could ask any question that had anything to do with what they call their impeachment inquiry. So, as I said before, there is no evidence because there is no evidence, and today only confirmed that. I can virtually guarantee you that nobody wanted to talk about his addiction. That's Abby Lowell, the attorney. Speaker Kevin McCarthy is here. Mr. Speaker, you know about this investigation, the role it plays. What do you what do you understand took place yesterday? Where is this going? Look, I, I think more information gets out. The American public is going to see what we found out all along. This entire family traded on their name. The president, when he was vice president, I mean, think about this. Um, I have a family. I'm in politics. We never set up a bunch of LLCs while I'm in office and uh, trading on the name to move money around. And when you're in a business, do, do, you, do you make sure nine of your grandchildren get all the money as you're going through? Um, do you go through – look, my son and I have gone to dinner. I, I think we've been to Cafe Milano before, and he never got a Porsche the next day. He didn't. Yeah, you know, and we didn't get $3 million from a Russian oligarch. Right. So what they say there, when Joe Biden goes in because he cares about his son, he hears there's a meeting, I want to make sure you're doing good. Uh, I'm over in uh, Ukraine. Can you come in on speakerphone, say hello? He goes, a father cares about his son. And until you get those checks that show Joe Biden getting a deposit or the big guy, where's this going? I mean, I think every step that we have taken, we learn something new. And remember, we have not gotten to all the bank records. We don't have uh, Hunter Biden's bank records or the president's bank records. When, when I moved through to do impeachment inquiry, people kind of misunderstood what that was. That was giving Congress the legal ability to get more information. That's because the Bidens had fought us the entire time not to give you the information. Right. And let me th- and you think about more power. I want you to hear what Jared Moskowitz said about that. Cut 27. Yeah. I think my colleagues and I are witnessing the death of the fake, faux, frivolous Joe Biden uh, impeachment inquiry. In fact, as a Jewish American, when this is over, I will say mourners Kaddish for uh, this impeachment inquiry. There has been no evidence on Joe Biden from the beginning. There has been no evidence so far uh, in this deposition linking uh, Joe Biden is all. You know, I know him well, and he, he always he this is his role he plays. He wants to just go up and Raskin too. Yeah. And you got Goldman too. It's the same thing they always use. Nothing here, nothing here. But they'll never open their eyes and sit and walk through what is there. When you get a paycheck, do you get the do you get the check and you sign a company up because of your name and you're the brother? Do you when you get that check, walk over, cash it and go to another bank and deposit in your brother's bank who's elected? Does he have anything to do with it? Mm-hmm. it, it all it does is raise other questions. Why wouldn't they first want to know the answers to that? And if there is no evidence, as they say, why do they fight the idea of even getting the bank statements to know? Twelve times Hunter Biden was flying around with the president doing some type of business deal. The vice president at the time doing a business deal right after. Uh, almost in every major meeting, the president has either showed up in person or come up on speakerphone. So this is something you can't say. He, first off, you could say flat out he lied when he said, I know nothing about my son's overseas business dealings. He flat out lied about that. Knew nothing about his brother. He flat out lied about it. He the lied fact that he was about the meeting, he Chinese with- money. He lied about saving, never having any meeting. He literally went to went to dinners with it, where he got where they got revenue from it. If if I happen to call my son or daughter right. and they're in a meeting, that'd be one time. 
But if my son and daughter are calling me inside a meeting that they have, even right. Hunter Biden a minute admitted when he was on the board of Burisma, he only got it because of his name. Kevin McCarthy here for another half hour unless he tries to break out. But I've locked the door. <laughs> Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here in a very busy Thursday. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade hey. Show. Hey, welcome back. Speaker McCarthy here. Mr. Speaker. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. You, you get an interview on time. And I want how many stations are you on across the country? Well, like over 200. How many when you first started this stations were there? How many do you think we had, Allison? Maybe a f- 20, less 20. than 100. Yeah. And you've grown it that much. Yeah, we've grown it. We're doing it. You're this like the hardest years. working person on television that I know. You oh. go straight from the. What time do you wake up in the morning? Two thirty. And you go into the morning. So you prep right. ahead of time. All right. You go in, do the morning show. Then the, you come straight here. Yes. Then what do you do next? Uh, after this, then we plan for One Nation Saturdays at nine p.m. So we uh, we sometimes tape it, sometimes we go live. So we go to meetings right so after. So are they thinking of changing the name of Fox just to kill me? I mean, right. is there, is there any hour back on that? <laughs> <laughs> Which, no, you know, that's amazing, too. People don't realize how much Sean works, too. Oh, yeah. He does radio all day, then he does his night show. I mean, And if you between, talk to people that know him, he's on the phone talking about, talking nonstop yeah, about then he's called on. me at 1 in the morning because he doesn't sleep. Right, right. <laughs> it's either him or Mark Levin. And Mark Levin. He's great. I yeah. mean, you three work so much. People don't realize how much. And then you're writing a book on your what, – what, when do you write the book? As you're walking up? Uh, yes, we do. I just jot it down. I make some voice memos. Uh, but, no, thank you. I, I think this is so much fun. You know how into it you are, right? Yeah. No one has to say, hey, Kevin, why are you up? Why are you having dinner here? Why are you going out for drinks after? Because you're trying to get that next deal to find out how to move forward, try to get that right candidate, to get that, co- to get that committee, to whatever it is. So that's what in your head. You're always trying to make deals for one objective. Mm-hmm. To make the country better. Yeah. So I, I want to see if we can get some answers to some stories soon. I know we're in election year, but to me, I, I always think that we could solve – a lot of these problems seem solvable. They because are. Because they're no longer gray area. And I always use this explanation. Stem cell research with George Bush, mm-hmm. it's a difficult situation. It was. You got the Reagans against the Bushes on stem cell research. I'm like, wow, you really need an intellectual argument, moral argument – but I'm talking about uh, illegal immigrants with, ne- uh, with neck tattoos, gangsters allowed to stay in, committing a crime. This is not hard stuff. And it's just a, an absence of logic in the world right now. It's not even conservative or liberal. And when I see Bill Moore and I was Charlemagne the God who does the morning show on an urban station right here, when I hear these guys that are known as Democrats go, what? I can't recognize this transgender debate. No. I can't recognize that we're giving, emptying our hotels for illegal immigrants while working class people are not getting any of these services. I can't recognize people that would put illegal immigrants into a classroom who don't speak the language to underprivileged kids. They put them into bad areas where the teachers don't get paid enough, the schools aren't resourced well. So where's the logic? So I'm, I'm, to me, I think all this stuff is solvable, and I like having people like you on that are in the eye of the storm. Well, you know, you're 100% correct. When you get a Bill Maher who's saying they have stepped so far out, that you'd find Democrats who thought October 7th should have been allowed. Where just a mass secure within I mean, days. Yeah, I mean that would be, that was the equivalent of thirty thousand Americans dying. Out. No one believes that, and Israel should have a right not just to defend themselves to make sure that never happens. Hamas is a terrorist organization. 
They should not be able to survive. And it, it, it befuddles me that Democrats become almost the party of supporting Hamas. It, it's unbelievable. But you raise good issues here. They're, they're almost black and white. And the challenge that I think all Americans have to think about you want people who have a philosophical and principled beliefs but understand you have to govern. Just saying no yeah, is not governing. It. It's real leadership. Look, I've always said, and I've studied, I was in business before, did a lot of different things, but there's two types of leaders. You're either a thermometer or a thermostat. Think about that for a moment. A thermometer does one thing, tells you the temperature. And that, that's people that you'll see that want to make money online. They just want to tell you the temperature and fire you up and never give the facts. A thermostat tells you the temperature but changes it. It's 100 degrees in here, but I'm going to take you to 75. And we're going to do different actions. But it's just like when you put the temperature down. It doesn't cool off right away. You've got, you got to have the foresight to continue to move through to know what you want the end result to be. That's the greatness that you found generation after generation in America able to do, that America is more than a country. America mm-hmm. is an idea. You know, when I would travel the world, it doesn't matter where I go. I remember walking in to see the president of Egypt, Assisi. Now, Joe Biden thinks he's president of Mexico. But I, I saw Assisi in, in, back in April of last year, and the first thing he says to me, you know, I watched all 15 rounds of you going for speaker. It was amazing how you stood for that, right? I mean, what happens in America matters. Right. I was in Australia them. last week, and on Channel 5 in my hotel room. And still working. Yeah, right. In five, my hotel room is Fox News. Yeah. And then everybody knows what's going on. People in Australia knows what's going on here. And they're a little disappointed and worried. Instead of saying, well, we have a rivalry and look, America's down or up, they get a little worried because it doesn't seem we can get out of each other's way no. to get anything done, especially when it comes to Ukraine. If you bring up Ukraine to a Republican now, uh, even people that they don't want to fund Ukraine, do they not remember World War II? Do they not remit? Do they know what, who this the is bad a, guys are? This is, is a very good point, and I think this is where. Okay, I think the president has failed lots of times because anytime you're in a situation like this or the world affairs are like this, he should speak to the American public. Because it doesn't matter from Republicans or Democrats, America and our policies can come together as one. Um, No, he put a lid on it when Israel got attacked, but at no time in world history do we look like the 1930s all over again. You've got the axis of evil. China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran bounding together want to expand their influence, a lot like Germany, Italy, and Japan at that time. You've got a challenge where people sit here and say, I don't want to give money to Ukraine. Do you understand what the money's for? It's not for Ukraine. It's for America. It's the missiles we have provided to the Ukraines to fight the war, we need to replenish ourselves. Otherwise, we're in a weaker position. And you know what? We gave them like iPhone version one, and we're going to build ourselves right. 14. But it took Mark Thiessen's uh, editorial in the Washington Post for the administration to realize that 80% of the money is spent in America on American companies to arm the Ukrainians. Yes. And you know what happens? There's not one American dying, but we've watched... This has more, not just with Ukraine, it's what's going to happen to Taiwan, what's going to happen to this, the set of what the power in the world looks like, whether freedom, democracy, republics win or not. Those are all dictatorships that pretty much from the power basis of what they look at. I know they could have their constitution, but really when you find what the, the way they're leading and the way they're pushing. The, the other challenge that you find that's happening right now is you've got a leader in President Biden that almost every single decision is wrong. I'm, I'm going to tell you a personal story. I went to Ukraine in 2015 after Russia had invaded. 
And Obama's the, president. Yeah. And Ukrainians fought back, right? They're fighting with sticks pretty much. And I come back and I, I took a bipartisan group. So we go down to the White House and we meet with the person in charge of Ukraine, then Vice President Joe Biden. We go into the Situation Room. And then when I sit there, I say, Mr. President, I, I brought Democrats and Republicans here and we're advocating Let's sell Ukraine javelins. Javelins is a is an arm held missile that would stop a tank. Okay, and let's do it as a defensive weapon to make sure Russia will not invade further. He goes, I don't think Merkel would support that. I said, Okay, well, let's sell them to him, keep him, train him on it, and keep it in Poland. You mean the president head of Germany would might not be happy about that? Yeah, yeah. and said let because they're buying Russian natural gas. Which, do you know, if we replace Russian natural gas for one year, we would lower CO2 emissions by 218 million tons because American natural gas is 40 percent cleaner. But this administration has stopped us from selling it now. Stop to, to all contracts, which, by the way, could ones. help you win Pennsylvania yeah. because they're the number one two natural but, gas producers. But these are our allies. I know. Okay. The other thing I'll tell you is when Biden became president and, and Putin moved those troops next to Ukraine – he called me and said, I talked to Putin. He said, you know, I told him these sanctions are really tough, Kevin. I don't think he'll invade. I said, Mr. President, with all due respect, Putin has lived under these sanctions for a decade. He's the wealthiest person in the world. He thinks like a mafia boss. He only looks at the world black and white. And Mr. President, the thing you might not realize is this is the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Soviet Union this year. He will invade unless he sees. We should have moved weapons then, not right troops, away. not yeah. troops, and he would not invade. So then once he invades, the president calls back and talks to me. You know what he tells me? Kevin, you've got to understand these sanctions take a long time to work. Every foreign policy. Had he moved, given them F-16s early, had he moved, he, he let, has Ukraine fight, but sanctions are, are only allows them to have a missile that will go 40 miles. So what does Russia do? They put their troops Absolutely. back 41 miles. Right. No attack them, so only high Mars. First, no high Mars. This would never have to even go in place. I mean, Gates was right, the, the former Secretary of Defense under uh, Bush and Biden said for the last 40 years, Obama. Obama, yeah, for the last 40 years, Biden has always made the wrong decision. Right. He's got experience. It doesn't mean he's right ever. Think so. about Afghanistan. His decision in Afghanistan also spurred Putin to invade Ukraine. But did you read, and it's okay if you didn't, Robert Hur's report. Uh, I read every word of it. And in Robert Hur's report, he's obsessed with Afghanistan. He's upset with Obama, upset with the military. We should be out of there. And then you say to yourself, oh, it's a document, it's a document. But this is about a guy's obsession with Afghanistan that we don't belong in. Then he becomes president, and he pulls everybody out okay, and then uh, says no one advised him it would be dangerous. I'm going to tell you a story I don't think I've ever shared publicly. Or not. I'm not sure if I have. When Afghanistan hit, the president I, – I, I'm minority leader at the time, and, the pre, and President Biden is kind of ignoring me, right? He won't even say my name at the inaugural. He, he's just mad at so me. So you didn't know you really? No, 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 no. We knew each other. When he was vice president, I'd go yeah. up to his house and have and you have would. breakfast. Okay. Yeah. No, we knew each other. He didn't like me for my support of Trump, but be what it may. Afghanistan happens. This is, this is a president that still hasn't spoken to me. I call the basic public line for the White House. I said, hi, this is Congressman Kevin McCarthy. I'd like to talk to the president because I'm getting all these calls from people stuck in Afghanistan, members trying to get people out. So the White House calls and says, hey, uh, did the did the did the leader call the White House? Yeah, he wants to talk to the president. President's credit, he calls me back, puts me on speaker. He's got the others in the room. He goes, Kevin, what's up? I said, Mr. President, you cannot stay with the timeline you gave for Taliban. 
we can't get all the Americans out. There's thousands of Americans. No, 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 Kevin, the number is much smaller. I go, well, what's the number, Mr. President? Well, no, 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 it's much smaller. I said, but Mr. President, I got thousands of names here from all the members literally working from a waltz, from a Mark Wayne Mullen, literally doing their job trying to get people out. He goes, Kevin, you don't know this, but the Taliban's going to need us. What, Mr. President? He told me the Taliban's going to need us after they take over to help them govern. Unbelievable. Uh, and I said, Mr. President. Well, by the way, publicly he was saying the Taliban was going to take over. These are the, the yeah. biggest army in the world that we've been training for 20 years. But the other thing I tell him, too, I said, Mr. President, our allies are sitting there. They've got troops there, not because they were attacked on 9-11, but because we were. Did you give him any heads up? And he he misjudged and overcorrected. Look, the military came and told him what he needed to have to maintain Afghanistan. He picked the number, not the military. So then the military couldn't protect Bagram. But the number they were given. Yeah. They could only protect the embassy. And we knew this. There's briefings. You knew it ahead of time. But when you didn't protect Bagram, this is where the prison of the worst people in the world that we have collected for the last decade sat. The minute we left, they broke out. Do you know who the, the bomber that killed those One of those guys was in that prison? This all hinges. And people say, like, who's running the White House? It was the President Biden who made those decisions. It was Biden who told me Putin wouldn't invade. It was Biden who then told me sanctions take a long time to work. It was Biden who told me when I talked about Afghanistan that you can't use that deadline. We've got to get all the Americans out, and we better allow our allies to get out, who told me, no, I was wrong. You just know, and that final thought is, he says that the Trump plan was in place, he couldn't stop it. No. Let me give you this. Okay, if you've ever been to Afghanistan, and I've, ne- I've never served in the military, okay? But I went there as a policymaker, and I would listen to them. In, in Afghanistan, you have a winter. It's like a bowl, right? So the fighting is much more during the summer and spring months. Yeah. If you were going to hand something over that we've been fighting for 20 years, would you hand it over in the summer or spring, or would you do it in the winter when people are away? So they'd have a greater ability to have the strength to take over when we're not there. Would you tell your allies, hey, we're getting out of this time. I know you've been here for 20 years with us. Let's make sure this sustains itself, this government. No, he, didn't. he turned it over at the moment in time that the Taliban was stronger. And he said no one ever briefed him that things could go south. And number two is That's he never told true. NATO. That is not true. Right, right. Because you remember he told George I, Stephanopoulos listen, that. I, I'm, I was in the Gang of Eight. I was briefed before all that. I went to briefings. The, the military, they do their job. We have the best military in the world. But the problem is you have a commander-in-chief – that gave orders to the military on how many troops they could have. Right. I'll get, when they went in to rescue Americans, they had more. They put more troops I know. in. And got it, it snap of a finger, they went in with and, thousands. And you know Not one American had died prior to that in two years. Right. We had sustained that. Because we, they said because we yeah. promised to leave. Mr. Speaker, stay right there. A few more minutes when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's no way to run a railroad. So what we did was we broke this up so that we could actually amend and negotiate and fight for policy 
initiatives on 12 separate appropriations bills. We've done that. Uh, we've got an agreement now, and, and now they'll be passed in two uh, packages because, as you noted, the calendar's run out. But this was an important thing. We have got to break the cycle and the way Washington works. We've got to reform budgeting and spending, and we're going to have an opportunity to do that going forward because we had this hard fight right now. So Speaker McCarthy's here, the new Speaker, Mike, uh, Mike Johnson, talking about that they have a short-term spending plan and 12 separate appropriations bills that are now passed out of committee. Are we close to getting a budget? I, I think we are. And it, You've got to understand, when I, when I became leader, I got frustrated because the Senate would always never pass any approach bills and do an omni. So when I did the Fiscal Responsibility Act, I put this provision in there, a 1% cut across the board if you don't do your job. So the Senate started to do approach bills, which structure dictates behavior, and I was trying to change the structure. But you, what you don't want to do is last – is Stick with what they did the year before because it was Democratic policies and they're spending too much. So the, the Fiscal Responsibility Act actually have you spend less and you're in the majority. You want to put your policies in. Take advantage of being in the majority. By waiting this long, you weakened your hand. But I, I congratulate them. If they can get it done right. now because you, you're five months into the next fiscal year, you're talking about last time. Right. This should have all been done in October we could have been able to have how do you get our how do you get the border fixed and how do you get afghanistan excuse me how do you get the border fixed and how do you get ukraine and israel funded well first of all i would never have put a pay for on israel when they got attacked i mean every dollar they get they got to find something to cut yeah well if you're going to do that to israel think about it israel gets attacked on october 7th iran is doing it funding hamas you got the Houthis now sending missiles at us, right? right. You've got the North thinking about coming down into – Evacuate um, 100,000 yeah. Israelis. And, Amer- and your greatest ally in Israel, they're questioning whether America is going to act or not. That emboldens our enemies to do more. So you the never would have done that, but now, then how do you do no, it? No, you would have sent the money right then to make sure that you calmed it down. What you should have done is if you are the, if you are the majority, you've got to be in the room, Okay. When, when I negotiated the Fiscal Responsibility Act, you never would have got the largest cut ever, $2.6 trillion. S- The Congressional Budget Office just came up and said it's even a bigger cut than right. people even projected. Um, welfare reform, NEPA reform. What you have to do is negotiate directly with the president. And so, so that's what it is. You want to cut so Schumer on Hakeem So we're going to be stuck. Well, what you would do is say, okay, Ukraine's important. But I'm not going to let you just dictate what Ukraine is. we got people who fought in theater. They know exactly what needs to happen. Our people are going to be in the room. You're not going to send it to us. But we need the border at the same time. We've got to deal with America, and we'll go do both. All right. Let's hope they can get it done. Kim McCarthy's been a great hour. Now you're going to go on a plane? I'm going to go on a plane, go back to work. I know, but you're still working, probably writing a new book by the end of the day, right? No, no. We're going to get ready for One Nation Saturday at 9, which I know you're going to be watching and, of course, going to finish up this show Have you ever invited me to be on that show? I think it's about time we do it. It is. I'll dress up for it. (laughs) Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, Thanks so much for being here on a really big day. I mean, there's so much going on. This hour, we're going to be joined by Mark Thiessen and Brigadier General Anthony Tata. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about what's going on and the challenges that we're having. Did you see yesterday it was announced that the Army's going to scale back their recruiting goals, 24,000? Why? Because we can't recruit anybody. I have some opinions on that uh, and the reasons why. We'll get to that shortly. Just a quick reminder. 
So if you're listening to the show right now and you have to leave our family of affiliates, grab your phone. You can always go to the Fox News app, hit on watch, and you just just brush it over until you get to radio and you could see the show because uh, we're running three cameras right here. You can also get the podcast. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This was a great deposition for us. Uh, It proved several bits of our evidence uh, that we've been uh, conducting throughout this investigation. Uh, But there are also some contradictory statements that I think need further review. You know, it's going to be kind of good. Uh, We're going to get to see it. Uh, They want to bring Hunter Biden for on-camera testimony. Let's have it. Hunter's world just got serious. The Trouble's first son says Joe didn't know anything about his business deals, but facts tell a different story. We'll discuss it. Number two. So it really comes down to official acts. And so the question that the Supreme Court actually granted cert for is to whether and to what extent a former president enjoys immunity for official acts in office. Former President Trump is saying that he enjoys immunity for all conduct as a president. And I think that's that real distinguishing factor is going to be what is an official conduct of the president and what is not. Yup, to Trump's trials, a pivotal week. Amazing pro-Trump news. He got the Supreme Court to take his immunity case on, putting Jack Smith's push to prosecute on hold. He's in a big rush. However, Trump lost his bid to less than a $400 million bond he's owed in New York City on a civil case. Plus, stunning good news is coming 45's way. A financial windfall. I'll discuss it. Number one. It's a crisis on the southern border in Texas, in Arizona. And it's a crisis... Here in Midtown Manhattan, this is extended nationwide now. And Jay Johnson's right. He said that on Fox and Friends to us. Dueling appearances on the border. You got locations chosen. Really tell the story. President Biden, Brownsville, where illegals number three on Wednesday. Trump to Eagle Pass, where all the action is. Pure politics. Now suddenly, a rash of murders, assaults and robberies even have this administration talking about the need for ICE. Mark Thiessen has seen this debate for decades and has been frustrated as I have been that nothing ever gets done. But, Mark, this is the first time I remember the uh, immigration being number one for both parties, including independents. How about you? Well, you just crossed the border, I understand. Did you actually fly home from, from your family vacation or did you actually just go to Eagle Pass and walk across? Well, you know what I did? Uh, it's hard to walk from Australia. So I ended That's up taking true. a plane. Uh, but I should oh, do what the Chinese go. did, get dropped off in Mexico with my roller bags and just walk across uh, to yeah, San Diego. You don't have to go through costumes. You don't have to show your passport. You know, this, this, this. And, and apparently, if you do that, then you could actually go to the airport after that and without a passport, without any identification, and fly and go through TSA pre-check. So what do you think about today's uh, dueling meetings? I don't think this is going to go for Biden, well, very well for Biden. This this uh, this uh, matchup because if you have a if you put up Donald Trump's record on the border versus Joe Biden's record on the border, it's a two minute decision for both people in the first minutes for coffee. I mean, you know, Joe Biden has broken the record for the most encounters at the southern border every single year of his presidency. In 2021, he broke the record. Then in 2022, he broke his own record. 2023, he broke his own record. And now in 2024, he's suddenly visiting the border and getting serious about border security. I'm sorry. You could have done this for you could have done this for three years ago. He could have been to the border. He could have been, you know, he's going to issue executive action. What If he could have done it, if he can do it now, he could have done it three years ago. Why didn't he do it? You know, and you know, it's uh, I, I and here's the thing that I don't understand politically, Brian. So Democrats know that in ni- in, in 2016, 
Donald Trump won the presidency on the issue of securing the border and illegal immigration. So if you know that, after you beat him in 2020 and take back the White House, why would you then turn around and unleash the worst border crisis in the history of the country and think that that's not going to help him come back to the White House? I know that's uh, rhetorical, but I want Jay Johnson to answer it. Cut six. We had 250,000 apprehensions in one month. My second year in office, we had 315,000 apprehensions in all of the year, 2015. Mm. Just for some perspective here, I understand the numbers have dropped a bit of late, but longer term, big picture, this is a a hemispheric shift northward. It's a crisis on multiple levels in multiple places. And he went on to say he's never seen it so bad or close, and it is absolutely a crisis. You could not get the Bidens, let alone their press secretary, to admit it, let alone the Homeland Security Secretary, to admit it's a crisis. And this is a huge crisis, but do not blame climate change. Do not bad, uh, blame bad leaders in Central and South America. Mark, I think you know we've always had this. Well, it's, first of all, it's only become a crisis when it became a political crisis because the American people decided uh, that it's the number one issue in the country. Uh, now, all of a sudden, that's when it became a crisis for them. It's not when it was a crisis for the communities of Eagle Pass. And the person we can thank for that, by the way, is Greg Abbott, because he, he nationalized this problem. He said, we're not going to just deal with this. This is not just going to be a border state issue. This is going to be an American issue. And we're sending these migrants to Chicago, and we're sending them to New York, and we're sending them to Boston, we're sending them to Washington, D.C. And you you all are going to have to have to uh, bear this burden as well. And we're sending them to the sanctuary cities because you said you want to provide sanctuary. Here's the people who want sanctuary. And all of a sudden, it became a problem for blue states. And that started putting pressure on the Biden administration. So tr- truly, Greg Abbott is a hero here uh, in terms of doing this. But the other thing that Jay jo- I'm so glad you had Jay Johnson on, because let's remember who Jay Johnson is. He was Obama's Homeland Security Secretary. And Joe Biden, you know, he hasn't just repealed the border policies of Donald Trump. He's repealed the border policies of Barack Obama. Barack Obama was excoriated by the left as being the deporter in chief because he deported a record three million illegal immigrants into this country. And Joe Biden, under Joe Biden, deportations have dropped to a trickle. So, so he's, you know, there's, there's so many things that Obama did at the border to keep this thing under control. And he has all the same laws on the books today that Obama and Trump had. Right? I hear, I hear they, you. They enforce, they use the laws that, you know, he's talking, he wants to blame Congress. You have all the same laws that they successfully you know, used to successfully secure the border. I mean, yeah, could they use more money? There are things they can do around the margins. But no, you have all the authority you need as president to shut down the border completely tomorrow. He just does it. This is not a crisis of law. It's right. a crisis of will. It's a but, crisis of but Mark, choice. You know, what's going to be fascinating is that evidently there, there's rumors that he's going to have a series of executive orders to rein this in. Do you realize the downside to that? He says he didn't. He said he didn't have the power. He needed that legislation yeah. to give him the power. So if he goes ahead and does this and says, now you you forced me to act on my own, you go, oh, excuse me. I get some clips of you saying that you used all the powers possible and you were helpless because of Republicans. No, that's exactly right. He has all the same laws on the books today. I mean, he, 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 literally, there's the same laws are, first of all, the, the Supreme – remember the the Muslim ban, the whole fight about sure. the Muslim ban, the Trump-Muslim yeah. ban? It went to the Supreme Court. A bunch of states sued Donald Trump, and there was a Supreme Court case, Trump v. Hawaii, 
where the Supreme Court held that the president under current law has blanket authority to bar any illegal migrants from coming into the country. There's no right to claim asylum. There's no right to, to enter the country and, be, and, and, and wait out your asylum claim while you're here and to be released in the country. The president has unlimited – the only restriction is he has to demonstrate – he has to de issue a declaration that a, the migrants entering the country is detrimental to the interests of the United States. That's all. Right. And he can bar anybody. And so – the, you know, the, that that's a Supreme Court decision from from just a few years ago. He could, Biden could shut down the border tomorrow with the stroke of a. So remember when the Democrats used to believe in phones and pens? <laughs> you know, right. they, 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 we, oh, I don't know. Congress won't act. I'll use my phone and my pen. Well, you know, use your friggin phone and your pen. I've been in the Oval Office. There's a phone and a pen on that desk. Use it. So a couple of things. Let's go to the Trump trials. First off, Donald Trump, evidently with this truth social as uh, part of a merger deal, could be coming out with close to $4 billion. So people don't you know, want to talk about, oh, Donald Trump had debt, and Donald Trump did this, and this didn't. $4 billion. People talk about the fact that you know, he was banned from social media. We don't even bring that up anymore. He creates Truth Social. It has a good foundation. Devin Nunes deserves some uh, credit for that. So he comes out. It turns out that uh, the SEC approved the pending merger, which would be worth about $10 billion, and shareholders, which include his Truth Social, uh, in which Donald Trump is a majority holder, would bring Trump $3.95 billion because he's got all these shares of this. So this could be the thing that bails out his empire, but it's not going to be ready for about five months. What is your take on, number one, the civil trial uh, and the $400 million he has to put up as he waits for appeal and what is your take on the Supreme Court deciding to hear his immunity case? Um, so the civil trial is a monstrosity. Um, the, most of these prosecutions are, are a monstrosity. And, you know, you can you can bicker about, you know, there's some cases are stronger than others and all that. I mean, but uh, but in, in, in a collection, collectively, 91 indictments. But it's putting it as a civil trial. 91 indictments. Charles Manson had eight indictments. Donald Amazing. Trump is 91. I mean, you know, and and this is what's driving his 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 comeback is not just the disaster that Biden has uh, has unleashed, but the fact that the, that they that the left is just weaponized uh, the justice system to try and destroy uh, Biden's political opponent. It's an outrage. Um, and I understand why people are outraged. And I understand this is why Republicans are rallying around the president, because they uh, because they, they you know, the, the Democrats view is that we need to burn down our democracy in order to save it. That right. Donald Trump is such a threat to our democracy that we have to tear down the institutions of our democracy in order to stop him from, you know, he's going to be the authoritarian, so we have to stop him. You know, the institutions are what, have, you know, are what protect our entire system. It, on, on January 6th, whatever you think of January 6th, there was no chance that Donald Trump was going to overturn the election because our institutions held. The state legislatures did their jobs. The state election officials did their jobs. The governors did their jobs. The judges did their jobs. The justice, Supreme Court justices did their jobs. The vice president did his job. The members of Congress did their jobs. There were so many checks and balances. And when you, when you destroy the institutions that are the guardrails of our democracy, you're doing more damage than any one man could possibly do, even if he had right. the nefarious intentions 
that you that you, that you claim. And, and look at the extent they're going to get rid of the third party candidates. What they're doing to the no labels into going yeah. after RFK and uh, who knows what Jill Stein's going to do. But even if that's one percent, they'll be significant. Uh, I want yeah. you to. I asked Jay Johnson, which you just brought up before, so I just pulled it about Obama and Biden. Listen to this. Would President Obama have ever allowed it to get this bad? Um, President Obama, I mean, of course, that was a different times 10 years ago. Um, he did not mind to a point, I think, uh, the, the aggravation we'd get for strict enforcement because we all saw at the time this was the path to fixing the system overall, get the border under control, comprehensive immigration reform, and and that's what we need now. Now, I keep coming back to this. We have a solution at hand. We have a bipartisan... And he went out to say he loves that bipartisan deal. But your thoughts, you yeah. hear that long pause? Yeah. Yeah, because he knows the answer is yeah, uh, that no, Biden, uh, Obama would never have allowed it. And what, what Obama did kind of, which was how he placated his, his left-wing base, was to say, my hands are tied. You know, the law ties – he actually used the law to explain – you know, when, when, they comp- when they called him the deporter-in-chief, they said, how can you deport 3 million people? He said, I've got no choice. The law requires me to do it. Right. Because the law does say you shall detain. You shall deport. You know, that, that, and, and Biden is actually violating the law by not enforcing it. You know, um, but that law, the the bill that that uh, it's complicated. So I don't want to dra- drag your uh, your yeah. uh, listeners down a rabbit hole. But I I read that Supreme Court, you know, ruling right from, from Trump versus Hawaii. That's blanket authority to do to do that because that's what the law says the president has. If you pass a law that says the president must. At, at 5,000 people, the president can can shut down the border. That mean, well, that will be read if Trump comes into office, only when we get to 5,000 people can he shut down the border. It's actually all the authorizations become restrictions because they supersede the previous law. So, you know, the, the, the bill was not only, you know, he doesn't need it. You know, giving a he doesn't need ties the hands of the next president who would have used the, all the authority that he had. So that, that's why that the law was such a terrible idea. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. I know you wrote about Mitch McConnell and, what, and his impact, and absolutely. We'll see what's next, and we'll see where we go from here, and he's got a few more months uh, in power. And I want to hear about your crock wrestling adventures one day when you, when you get a chance. When you get a little bit older, when I think you can handle it. Mark <laughs> Thiessen, thanks so much. Yeah. 1-866-408-7669. By the way, General Austin's now trying to justify his long absence as Secretary of Defense as he went to the hospital. It's not going well. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Biden, why did you put your dad on speakerphone with your business partners if he had no involvement in your business? Do you have a dad? Did he call you? Yes. Did he the phone? Yes. But why did you need to talk to him during business meetings if he had nothing to do with your business? Right. And he never answered that. Uh, Hunter, nice try. And that's the thing we're going to see. Behind closed doors, Hunter talked about his addiction. He said, what about Jared Kushner? Why don't you look into that?
But Hunter Biden, here's the problem. There's nothing you've done that's been transparent. It was the laptop. I don't need to tell you about the laptop and all the, the way it was repressed. But now we know it's real. Now we know the exchanges with your dad. Now we know the exchanges with your business partners. We know that Devin Archerson is going to jail. You have another partner in jail. The CEFC chairman you were dealing with is now missing. The Ukrainian person that got fired says that you absolutely got fired because, told me, Victor Shokin, because of the dealings you were, uh, because you refused to deal with them and vice versa. And your dad was at these meetings, was golfing with the partners, was uh, 12 times you were on Air Force Two and then went to these meetings. We're supposed to say you never talked about it with your dad. And the thing that's important is everything that's been found out has been discovered. Rob Walker also said you met, he met with the president of CEFC. So, that's he said, Joe Biden, vice president, met with the president of CEFC, a energy company linked with China that was part of their Belt and Road program, which was invented to upend American influence in developing nations and around the world. Jamie Raskin says there's not meeting. Uh, there was there was not a meeting here, even though Biden was at meetings. They weren't talking about business. They say it's over. There's no way it's over. It's between this and that Georgia trial where you know flat out they're lying. There's a detailed legal opinion about what the father was doing. And I don't think it's going to end up in impeachment. But then there's logic. And you say to yourself, going to dinner with these people, asking to be on the board of these people, and the people that are no longer affiliated with the family like Tony Bobulinski gave detail, including a 45-minute, two 45-minute meetings with the former vice president, about this business. So I want to see that all front and center. And then let the American people decide who's honest and who's not. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Joining us now, Brigadier General Anthony Tata. Uh, he is the author of a brand new book called The Phalanx Code and the best selling author of 15 military thrillers. General Tatum most recently performed the duties of Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, the number three position in the U.S. Department of Defense under President Trump in 2020. Uh, General, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. How are you doing? General, uh, I don't know how much you're watching Secretary Austin's testimony today. But he's trying to justify being out of the loop for weeks while he was in the hospital, not putting anybody in charge. This happened two or three separate times. I don't know how they're spitting it now, but how do you figure getting to the level that you got to and he was above you as a four-star and not understanding the responsibility? <laughs> well, I know Lloyd Austin very well. I was his deputy commander general in the 10th Mountain Division when he was commander general. I was a battalion commander in the paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne when he was a brigade commander. And, you know, he's a good man. Uh, he served our country, and um, he, he uh, I, I wish him well. I pray for his health. Uh, but he knows, he absolutely knows that what he did was inexcusable. Uh, this is all narrative uh, uh, painting over. Uh, you know, he had a deputy down in Puerto Rico that couldn't be bothered to come off vacation. Uh, his chief of staff couldn't be bothered to come in from from uh, her house in Northern Virginia. Uh, and and he couldn't bother to tell the president. It's inexcusable. It, it is a fireable offense for all of them. And I, I just don't understand. I mean, I guess I do, because the same lack of accountability applies to Afghanistan, applies to uh, Ukraine, applies to Israel, and, and will certainly apply when the 
lack of uh, intelligence about the border uh, manifests itself wherever it's going to manifest itself. So uh, it's, he, he is um, attempting to maintain the narrative that everybody's awesome, everything is awesome. Uh, I, I got to tell you, Brian, when I was the undersecretary performing those duties, I, I went on an a overseas uh, a trip to visit with allies and partners and sign major defense deals. I had to sign and, and have someone countersign the document appointing my deputy. So I was the number three guy in the Pentagon. My deputy, Tom Williams, became the, the acting undersecretary while I was gone before I left. It's there. There are well-established uh, uh, procedures in place. It is. It has been going on you know, for for decades. So I feel like we're not getting uh, the right the, general. I think I'm not getting the whole story. Plus, you never told the president. Meanwhile, our guys are getting right. shelled in Iraq. We're getting rocketed in the Red Sea from the Houthi rebels, and we're supposed to be on guard to see if Lebanon's going to Hezbollah is going to get involved from Lebanon. So I, I don't understand it. Even in a time of so-called peace. I don't get it. Do you think I'm – what are we missing? Yeah, they're not serious people, Brian. That's that's what everybody's uh, missing, and it's because, you know, the, the corporate media, CBS, NBC, et cetera, uh, they are not holding these people accountable. These were the same people, Brian, that were on vacation when Afghanistan unraveled the way it did. Remember, there was nobody around. There was nobody in charge. That's true. And, and Secretary Austin couldn't answer basic questions. In, you know, Mark Milley had to save him um, when he got pinned down by the rare journalist that asked a tough question in that Pentagon press room um, after days of preparation. Uh, and, you know, and then they go and kill, uh, set the conditions to have, you know, 13 soldiers killed and, and dozens more, uh, you know, maimed, wounded, loss of limbs. And, and so these people are not serious people. Why, for example, did they offer Zelensky a ride out on the eve of the Russian invasion of of Ukraine. Uh, said another way, if that had been Trump in office, which it wasn't, it, it would never have been. But let's pretend Trump had been president and offered Zelensky a ride out. The headline would be that Trump does Putin favor by decapitating exactly. Ukrainian government. Exactly. But nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Right. Uh, these are the same people. Mistake after mistake right. after mistake. But bottom line is, too, is that our intelligence said they're only going to last days. They were wrong again. They were wrong about Afghanistan. Uh, you know, with 100,000 trained troops, Afghanistan could fight off the Taliban. Now without any air cover, they couldn't. So there you go. Right, exactly. uh, goodbye. And number two is you never even told NATO. So NATO was sitting there going, right. excuse me, you guys are leaving? We've got 20,000 troops here. We could have kept NATO troops there and kept that lid on that cauldron and then done this responsibly while holding on to Bagram. Uh, but the president of the United States says, well, that was the plan that Trump had in place. But I want you to hear exactly. what, General, what General Austin just said about what's going to happen from here on in. We've issued written guidelines for clear information sharing between my staff and the deputy secretary staff if these scenarios arise. And we'll ensure that the department officials in the order of succession are familiar with, with and supported for the relevant processes. And we're moving quickly to develop a mandatory reporting por- protocol for personnel who support me or the deputy secretary in situations that might affect our ability to perform our duties and functions. Good. Now we have something that should have been in place, I guess, in 1910. Uh, that we're going to be using in 2024. 
it's already in place. They're going to change happy to glad on some document and say they, they implemented it. I, 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 that, that, is, that is very close to perjury. Uh, I, I got to tell you, because all that already exists. I saw it. I signed those documents. Anytime anybody goes anywhere that's in one of those covered positions, you've got to notify. And, and more importantly, Brian, the administrative staffs, the, the professional career GS-13s, 14s, 15s that manage these political appointees that come in and out like I was, uh, I had an amazing uh, young uh, lady that had been there for 35 years, and, and she she made sure of course. that like, every step I took was down the straight and narrow, and I signed all the right documents. And you have guardrails in place, and these people um, take care of the, that All that already exists. He, he is right. very close to the line of, of, of misinforming Congress. Brigadier General Anthony Tata with us. I just want you to, General, I'm kind of listening to this in real time, too. Uh, Eric and Allison are pulling some of this because he's testifying now. So I want you to let's listen to what else he said. I want to, again, make one thing very clear. At no time during my treatment or recovery were there any gaps in authorities. And there were no risks to the department's command and control. And from the time that I resumed my duties on January 5th, I fully participated in national security decision-making on events in the Middle East and, and about military operations in self-defense to protect our troops in our facilities over there. You believe that? No, I don't. Uh, nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. And very, very, again, I think he's very close to the line here, and I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked to hear him saying this. They must have uh, backdated some paperwork or something because um, it, it's That's very That's not obvious. the story. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. It's very obvious that the dev nobody knew, and there was nobody in charge, and he was in the hospital, right. perhaps uh, under anesthesia. Um, so that's not true, um, as as I understand it. So he's you know uh, he's very close to the line here, Brian. And I, I'm I'm really actually right. surprised to see that. You can hear the defensiveness in his voice. I know this man very well, and and you can really hear the nervousness and the defensiveness. Um, and, and his voice. He's a terrible communicator. It's just not one of his gifts uh, on the best day, let alone this day. And I hope he gets better. He seems like a nice man. I appreciate him deciding to give so much service to the country, but it's hard to believe that he's the best person available to do that job. I want to bring you to something else. And um, when you saw the results in Michigan and you saw the protest vote of 101,000 people and said, don't commit, uh, non-committed to uh, Joe Biden, and you see some of the tension between him and Netanyahu, are you concerned like I am that this president worried about his own political fortune is going to start pulling back weapons or putting him from Israel? Yeah, I think, well, I think he's already doing it. I, I you know, um, all this uh, information warfare that this administration has against the state of Israel is shocking to me. It's breathtaking. Um, all of this leaks to the press about, Oh, they're going to stop the war here and there. You know, I, everything I know about the IDF, which is a lot and, and the Netanyahu um, uh, folks, uh, they are pedal to the metal. They know what their task is. They have to destroy Hamas, and and they are very clear-eyed on that. And they are not going to – the United States should not be uh, getting in their way on this because, you know, it's clear that this t- the quasi-two-state solution with uh, Gaza and Israel, uh, you know, failed because they could have turned Gaza into a Mediterranean resort – and they chose to turn it into an underground terrorist network. And, and so Israel says enough is enough. 
you you still have our hostages and they're trying to you know it's at the the uh blinking tweets and that kind of thing at the early days of all this it's all inexcusable and it's all about dearborn michigan it's all about yeah. uh you know the 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 heavy uh islamic po- population that that's there and the pressure that they're getting domestically and and this president is he's corrupt he's craven he's about political power and and the people around him are are exactly the same way and and it and it is a real threat to our national security so right now we have um 100,000 maybe more israelis backed off the northern border because they're concerned about being hit by hezbollah rockets and there's word is that israel might be preparing to go there in the spring what would that mean and would you support it I, I would support whatever Israel needs to do to defend the integrity of its borders. And if, if there's no safe place for Jewish people in Israel, then there's no safe place for Jewish people in the world. And and so they've got to uh, – and I've been to the Golan. I've been down uh, near um, you know to the Gaza border. Right. I, I've been um, in Jerusalem. I've I've been through the Holocaust Museum there where the children's names are echoed when you walk out. I, I mean, uh, there, uh, you know, Israel will make sure that we don't forget that history. Gotcha. Uh, I don't, I'm not convinced America will, but so, Israel will make sure we don't forget that. And we've got to support Israel and the integrity of their borders. All right. So we know this. Uh, you're really good at writing these novels based on your experience in the military. Uh, you've written 15 military thrillers. The latest one is The Phalanx Code, a Garrett Sinclair novel. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, Brian, uh, Phalanx Code is actually book 16 and uh, from St. Martin's Press, uh, Macmillan. And it's a third in the Garrett Sinclair series uh, where Sinclair uh, has to defend uh, a tech uh, project that is trying to help uh, protect uh, information, individual information from uh, the Phalanx Corporation, which is, think Google and Facebook with their worst digital carnivorous instincts of trying to put their jackboot on the neck of the little guy. Uh, Sinclair has to protect the little guy in this story. And it unfolds. It's sort of a, a Zuckerberg versus Musk kind of a story where the Optimist Project, which is the little guy, um, is trying to defend uh, individual mm-hmm. liberties where you have Phalanx Corporation trying to implement techno-fascism around the United States and the globe. And Sinclair learns a devastating family secret about his grandfather who scaled the cliffs of Point de Hoc in World War II and was became a famous World War II uh, general and, and uh, army ranger. And and uh, that complicates his mission and uh, this entire scenario. It's getting great reviews, selling very well, and uh, uh, certainly appreciate being able to talk about it. Uh, no problem, and congratulations on it. Where do we go to get it? Uh, anywhere, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any any indie bookstore, AJTata.com, my website. Um, anywhere books are sold, Phalanx Code is in hardcover and in ebook, and it'll be out in Audible uh, here uh, in, in in days. Go get him. Uh, best of luck, uh, Brigadier General Anthony Tata. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got Always it. Always great to chat with you. Same here. Listen, we're going to finish up with your phone calls. First time, it's been a busy morning, one 408 We're following all the testimony on Capitol Hill and both uh, President Trump and President Biden going down to the border. What's at stake? What are you going to be listening for? Brian Kilmeade Show. 
On the road to 2024. Is a Trump nomination just a super Tuesday away? Well, the numbers are far greater than we even anticipated. I hope she'll drop out. There's no reason for her to stay in. You can't win a general election if you can't get 40% of Republican primary voters. All eyes on Super Tuesday right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Got a few minutes here. Just a quick reminder, on April 27th, especially for those listening out in Las Vegas and Nevada out west, or anyone going out to Las Vegas, April 27th, they're going to be on stage for History, Liberty, and Laughs. On stage, re-bringing up great moments in our past, having fun, winning the war in history. Uh, we have um, uh, kind of focus on my books, the latest one, Teddy and Booker team making the most news. But I'll have George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates. And just talk about an inspirational, motivational evening. It's been great across the country. I'm going to continue it through the spring. And just go to BrianKillMe.com. VIP opportunities. I get a chance to meet with a smaller group before. It's probably the most fun I have overall. It's going to be great. I'll meet with people after, too. So BrianKillMe.com, April 27th. Hope for everyone to be there. Uh, and I'll talk more about that on One Nation on Saturday night at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Hey, Peter, you'll listen on WVGA in Geneva, New York. Hey, Peter. Hello, Brian. Good to hear from you. Uh, yeah, I was uh, concerned about the uh, uh, lack of money getting going to Ukraine. I, uh, I've been concerned about Ukraine right from the start, but it seems like uh, no matter how much money they send, it's, it's a Band-Aid, and they can't seem to defeat the David and Goliath uh, Russia. Um, I think that they can do it. And look, did we ever think the Soviet Union would be forced out by a a bunch of Mujahideen and moccasins? But they did, and they were getting blown up as they left. So this is a formidable force, better fighters, better equipment, that's already taken out 300,000 off the battlefield. And you start bleeding them dry, and you start pushing them back. And you keep them occupied. They're not going to finish off Georgia, take the rest of Moldova, start intimidating Estonia, Lithuania, and others. This has got to be a message, and it's got to show China, hey, you take Taiwan, you're not just sucking it up for a year. We're going to keep pushing you back and defending uh, the little guy for as long as it takes. Because as imperfect as the democracy is, that is a country in control of their government. Vladimir Putin is a thug, and he only understands power. Tony, listen on WABC in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Tony. Hi, Brian. You know, you, you hit it on the head when you said democracy. I, When I look at our country and how we're running it, both internally and what's happening, and how we're responding to crime and death and just with cricket, and then we look at the world stage, I'm kind of wondering, Brian, what's it going to take for this to all stop? Because we're not a democracy anymore. When all the people could go before their country and say what's happening we don't want this we don't want the migrants we don't we're afraid of the crime and our government is responding with basically cricket it's it's a cricket kind of mentality and the people aren't buying it anymore so i'm i'm anticipating a change because we need it i do too listen if it was donald trump running this type of country and doing the things that he was doing right now, even though I've known him for a long time, I, I wish him well, or George Bush, who I really have a great respect for, if they were running the country like this, I'd want him out. This is terrible. 
And I'm telling you right now, whatever you think of Barack Obama, at least he had the people in place that were competent. I didn't like his agenda. I didn't like a lot of things he did. I thought he had a weak foreign policy, but I thought he was on top of things. I didn't like the way he didn't respond heavily after these terrorists and ISIS cropped up pulling out of Afghanistan. But at least he was competent. I don't think there's anybody around the president competent. He only works about two hours a day. And I think we're going to see that over the next year. He's done a terrible job. If this is your audition for four more years, you failed. And I'll take the policies we saw four years ago. And that's why Trump is authoring the biggest comeback in political history. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm Brady. Brian Kilmeade here. So glad you're there. 1-866-408-7669. I come to you in front of Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, for all the wrong reasons, New York is now in the center of things again because of the illegal aliens that are all over this place. You have to see New York City. In many ways, it's come back, and in many ways, they've just their own worst enemy. And I'm talking about where if you go to 34th Street, there's a Roosevelt Hotel. You see these illegal aliens just sitting outside, kids going to the subway. Uh, people are just hanging out there. They have nothing to do. They can't work because you can't come here and go get a job. So now they're getting credit cards and experimental programs. You have people subletting furniture stores with 45 beds, 300 a head. As they sit there, smoke uh, smoke pot, smoke cigarettes, and drink alcohol. And now we have murderers uh, murderers, and criminals and robbers and shoplifters uh, play, uh, plaguing this city. And now you have people talking about getting rid of sanctuary cities except for other people. I'm going to play all that. But now that story is pledged to Georgia because somebody who's arrested in Georgia murdered this, uh, this Lake and Riley who was just jogging out in the University of Georgia. And now we got both presidents talking about immigration, because it is your number one issue. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This was a great deposition for us. Uh, It proved several bits of our evidence uh, that we've been uh, conducting throughout this investigation. Uh, But there are also some contradictory statements that I think need further review. Hunter's World just got serious. The troubled, troubled first son says Joe didn't know anything about his business deals, but facts tell a different story. What was said and why the next stop will be in front of the cameras for Hunter. Number two. So it really comes down to official acts. And so the, the question that the Supreme Court actually granted cert for is to whether and to what extent a former president enjoys immunity for official acts in office. Former President Trump is saying that he enjoys immunity for all conduct as a president. And I think that's a real distinguishing factor is going to be what is an official conduct of the president and what is not. Trump trials, pivotal week, amazing pro-Trump news. He gets the Supreme Court to take his immunity case, putting Jack Smith's push to quickly prosecute on hold. However, Trump lost his bid to less than the $400 million bond he needs in the civil case in New York City. Plus, stunning news uh, goes 45's way. And I'm talking about a financial windfall. You're not going to believe it. Number one. It's a crisis on the southern border in Texas, in Arizona. And it's a crisis... Here in Midtown Manhattan, this is extended nationwide now. 
dueling appearances on the board. All locations chosen tell the story. Joe Biden to Brownsville, where there's almost nobody coming through, and Trump, Eagle Pass, where the action is. Pure politics instead of pure problem solving. Now suddenly a rash of murders, assaults, and robberies, even at the administration talking about the need for ICE and cooperation with ICE, where it wasn't too long ago where the former senator from California, now vice president, was comparing ICE to Nazis. Uh, with us right now is uh, Brett Baer, host of Special Report, getting set to do that, and also getting set for Super Tuesday coverage. Hey, Brett, welcome back. Hi, Brian. So I can't imagine what your week was last week. I mean, is it, I mean, were you beyond tired? You go to Ukraine, <laughs> the train rides, the buses, the planes, you come back, you do South Carolina coverage, then you're hosting uh, the ne- on Monday. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it was a good little stretch there. Yeah, I, I definitely caught up on some sleep in the past few days. But um, the planes, trains, automobiles, armored car uh, trip was um, was interesting and, and worth it. I mean, the, the show turned out really interesting and I think made some news. And, um, you know, Zelensky was his first interview on the front lines and um, one in which, you know, he said he wants to keep on fighting but didn't didn't turn away the thought of a negotiating table uh, if he's in the right position. What was your impression of him physically? You know, I think he had a lot of energy. I mean, for a guy that's under siege, um, he was engaged. We followed him uh, to a hospital in Kharkiv where he met with um, soldiers who had lost limbs, gave them medals, and, uh, you know, talked to him behind the scenes about how that is. You know, he says that emotionally it affects him sometimes. Uh, Sometimes he can power through, but... Um, you know, we were there, and it wasn't set for TV. They didn't know we were coming. Um, and the one guy says, Russia can take my leg, but they can't take my spirit and my soul. And, uh, you know, there's some heavy stuff happening there. So he really needs weapons. And I know you're a news guy, and I'm here to report the story and talk about needs. and let the. But it's impossible for me not to think every day that these people that deserve our support, they are a democracy, this is usually the biggest layup in my lifetime. Of course you support people who fight like lions, who are, who are holding off an expanding dictatorship. What happened to this country? What happened to both parties on this? Number one, the ability yeah. to get it done. And number two, Republicans to understand who the good guys are. Yeah, it's a bit uh, turned around as far as the old Reagan uh, Republicans. And there's um, a different sense now. And, and uh I think that, you know, it's a legitimate argument to worry about money going to pay for pensions or to pay for Ukrainian farmers when U.S. farmers are not getting a farm bill. Those are all legitimate things. But if you look at the number one, um, you know, percentage of money that goes to Ukraine, it's it's overwhelmingly for weapons and ammunition. And then a part of that money goes actually to U.S. defense industry. Yes. you know, factories that are helping get jobs and money into red states primarily. So a lot of it seems not talked about the right way. And and I think critics of the fact that it hasn't gotten through blame President Biden. I mean, he has not used the bully pulpit I know. to his effect at all. I mean, General Keene tells the better story. Lindsey Graham uh, under, like makes the better case. Or as Congressman Joe Wilson, whose four sons serve in the military, uh, he talks about it. Like, this is pretty obvious 
And if you look at a map, which you do, you see the fact that they have not left Georgia in 2008. You see the fact that they're still in those so-called breakaway provinces in Georgia and that they're trying to infiltrate their elections to get a pro-Russian leader in Georgia. And now you see in Moldova, they already had talking about two breakaway republics in New Jersey. They're pro-Russian, making believe as if they are being held hostage by the Moldovian regime. And now they, you know what they did in Ukraine. They take Crimea, they take uh, the Donbass region, and now they want more. Why does anybody think they're going to stop? I don't know. I mean, the history says something different. And um, obviously, Putin's words when he started this uh, say something different. And if you talk to anybody who has dealt with the inside of Russian leadership, they all say that he has a, a vision of the old Soviet Union and getting the old band back together. So, you know, there is a lot of skepticism, even if you got to a negotiating table, if, if they would hold, if there would be a freeze. We haven't really lived up to our end of the bargain historically there. I mean, we promised Ukraine in 1994 after they gave us their thousands of nukes that we would um, we would have a security agreement, the U.S., U.K., and Russia. Obviously, Russia, uh, you know, turned their back on that. Uh, but, but we should remember all these things, you know, in the wor- world picture. Uh, when we promised the Kurds security, uh, we didn't. And, um, you know, they, they have implications, implications long term if uh, if we don't keep our word. And that was Donald Trump when he pulled back securing the Kurds after they fought so brilliantly against ISIS. I know what you're talking about. Let's talk to the about the Trump court cases. First off, what about this story that the parent company that owns Truth Social is about to be sold and it's going to bring Donald Trump up to four billion dollars? Have you seen this? Yeah, and it's all happening. The SEC, you know, moved forward with that rule and said that it could happen. Uh, so that's a big windfall. But he may need it if he he's going to pay off all these um, these bonds that um, that some of these court cases are bringing. You're talking about 400. But he said, "I can't get the 400 million dollars." He said, "What about 100 million? And they said, "No." The other story would be what's happening with the court cases. And yesterday it was ruled that the Supreme Court will hear the immunity case. Here's Jonathan Turley on what this means for uh, the president and his political fortunes. Cut 17. Let's assume for a second that they rule for Smith and they send back what's called the mandate to the district court for the trial to go forward. If that happens in June, the trial judge has to get through pretrial motions that could take easily a couple of months. Then the trial itself can take three months. If you do that, you're getting awfully close to the election. And the Department of Justice has long had a rule not to have elections within a couple of uh, sorry trials within a couple of months of elections. Even though Jack Smith has been given a lot of discretion, that policy rests with Maine Justice. And I think the Attorney General himself uh, really should sign off on uh, departing from that policy. So there's a lot of questions here, but Jack Smith is seeing a loss of calendar space. And for him, it's significant. Every day he loses, uh, it reduces the likelihood that he can get a trial through before the election. But you know how things go, Brett. This is going to go down to everything going playing out to maybe September. And then September, let's go. Wait, it's only three months away, two months away. What is that unwritten rule? That's what this could come down to. Well, you know, we went through it before with James Comey and the emails and how close that was. That was July. Um, so that had an impact on the election with uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, we had no I, trial. I think, 
known trial. That's right. And the trial would be a whole different ballgame and brought by a special counsel through the Justice Department. You know, so I, I think that's a, a different ballgame. And Jonathan's right. I think in the big picture, um, I don't know how it all moves forward ahead of the election. You know, you have to go through this process. And, you know, the, the appellate court tried to fast track it, tried to say, no, you can't appeal to the en banc, the entire uh, group of appellate judges. You can't do that. You have seven days and you've got to file with the Supreme Court. That was kind of historic for that to happen. And but they did it. And then the Supreme Court took it up. But there's no sense that the Supreme Court is going to race uh, to next week make a decision. They're going to, you know, hear arguments. They're going to move forward. And if if it happens in June, Jonathan's right. It's going to push right up against November. So what do you think of the documents case? I understand the Miami judge who, who Trump appointed is looking at it, but they tell me that's going to take the longest because you have to give everyone the highest security clearance in order to look at the documents that are going to be used as evidence against the former president. So how do you get all these people to go through? And it's going to be million, literally a million documents, right? Yeah, it's it's insane. And listen, the, you can make the case that all of this stuff is lined up, and it's easier to make the case that, it, like the former president and his allies do, that this is designed to take him down and not a specific charge in each one, that it's collectively yeah. an effort to politically take him down. But what's happening is there, the process you have to go through um, takes time. And if it pushes up against the election, it's like a race against time. So we have the election and we have the legal process, and it's all racing together. And, um, you know, it's like two trains on a track. We'll see what happens there. And the Georgia case, we under, you still live there, the Fulton County case. We understand that maybe by Monday is the judge going to give us an idea. Also, they have they decided yet? I might have missed it on if those text messages and geolocators are going to be entered in as evidence that these two had a relationship going on before this indictment was offered. He hasn't had a decision on that. It's coming probably. I mean, maybe this week. And um, yeah, you're looking at next week, and that case seems like it's falling apart. Uh, it really does. And, you know, it's a RICO case and the ties to not only the, the relationship here and, and what this was all about, but also how the White House figures into it is is another part of the story. So I think of the cases, Manhattan's probably the weakest, but that's the shakiest as far as where it stands. Absolutely. Uh, and lastly, Hunter Biden. Here's what James Comer said came out of yesterday, cut 24. This was a great deposition for us. Uh, it proved several bits of our evidence uh, that we've been uh, conducting throughout this investigation. Uh, but there are also some contradictory statements that I think need further review. Josh Ma- uh, Moskowitz wants to hear this, cut 27. I think my colleagues and I are witnessing the death of the fake faux frivolous Joe Biden uh, impeachment inquiry. In fact, yeah, and the fake folk, but you have the Hunter Biden making international business deals, referring in text messages his dad is sitting next to him, confirming that his dad was at meetings, whether it was on speakerphone or actually at restaurants, uh, and you have bank records that have been taken up so they'd have no explanation. I don't think this is done, but what does it tell you that the Republicans want Hunter Biden on camera now to testify in public? 
because he must have said something behind the scenes that um, that perked their their interest as far as getting it on camera. I, you know, you you have this FBI informant that uh, now is charged, and I think that that's a big big thing in this case. But you also have Tony Bobulinski on, you know, under oath, uh, saying what he said, and. I just don't buy the whole there's no there there. Obviously, there's there there, and it doesn't look good no matter what you look at it politically. But as far as the legal side of it, uh, I think that's what we're waiting to see. And um, I think the longer this goes on without that aha moment, it becomes tougher for Republicans. Uh, but it's still in the process. All right. Who do you have tonight? Uh, tonight, listen, we're following all these stories that we've uh, we've been – the breaking stories yesterday were crazy. You know, just five minutes before, we had the Supreme Court. We I had know. Mitch McConnell uh, stepping down. So uh, tonight we've got a Common Ground segment on AI, which um, should be interesting with Democrats and Republicans. I like when you bring people together. Uh, Brett Baer, thanks so much. Great job. All right. We'll see you. Go get him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we got a big hour coming your way. Hope to get your calls. We're still monitoring uh, the Secretary of Defense on Capitol Hill trying to explain his disappearance. And we have the former president and president going to the border. Besides that, not much going on. Here are the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We had... 250,000 apprehensions in one month. My second year in office, we had 315,000 apprehensions in all of the year 2015. Just for some perspective here, I understand the numbers have dropped a bit of late, but longer term, big picture, this is a a hemispheric shift northward. It's a crisis on multiple levels. In multiple places. Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson under President Obama. He did the job for four or five years. He sees it as alarming. Tom, you listen in Tyler, Texas. Well, that's where the action is. What's your reaction to both former and current president coming down to your state? Uh, well, like they said, Biden's going to uh, Brownsville, just political. But I think uh, uh, Trump will have a lot to say down there in Eagle Pass. Um and he's going to be able to I see what the state did. He's going to see what your governor did, making their own yes. fence, telling the Border Patrol, guys, I got this. It's not working. And stop yeah, it. Everybody knows that's not true. You know, everybody. And uh, Governor Abbott's the first one that used the Constitution to say we were being invaded. And, he, and he, uh, he's using it. And I don't see why the other governors can't use that also because uh, it's already out of control. It's getting worse. They're just bringing the problems from their country here. But Tom, by the time I tell you what, the problem is you had a Democratic governor in use in, excuse me, in uh, in Arizona, as well as one in California that won't admit the problem because it hurts President Biden. But what about us? What about focusing on us? This is not just a, a matter of crime. These are these are murderers in some cases. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I caution against conflating immigration and crime. The data demonstrates that the two are not connected. There's been no legislation from this government that has created sanctuary cities. You're a liar. We're here to listen. Liar. There'll be time for questions. You're the one guilty. You've got blood on your head. 
2019 was not that long ago. You might remember the dynamic we were living in in the late teens in this country where you had the President of the United States speaking in the most vile terms about people who were foreign born. And you had that notion oh, metastasizing in places like Charlottesville. Uh, that is the the crazy and ridiculous press conference caused by Athens Mayor Kelly Gertz, who was trying to explain to everyone that they basically set up a sanctuary city that was unconstitutional for that state in Georgia that allowed ICE to just be stiff-armed and got the Heisman while that people run rampant. And then it turns out that is part of the reason that I believe that nursing student uh, was killed, murdered brutally, uh, the right uh, running outside the University of Georgia. Uh, that horror is brought home by Mary Catherine Ham. She actually went there as a student and is talking about that now as we try to monitor two separate events, one with President Biden going to Brownsville right now today in Texas to see the immigration problem. Griff Jenkins just tweeted out they just got 100 people just surge across the border there, but it's pretty quiet. And then in Eagle Pass, where the governor of Texas has taken it upon himself to make up his own makeshift wall because this president won't build it. Uh, Mary Catherine Ham joins us now. She's also an OutKick columnist. Mary, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, Brian? So were your thoughts about what you what we all saw, the horror of that <clears throat> murder at the University of Georgia? Yeah, so this one hits a little close to home, close to home for me. I was just with a group of UGA students last week doing an alumni event. So I've checked in with some of them. They're obviously having a tough time. There was another student who died of died by suicide the same week as uh, Lake and Riley was stolen from her her family and friends. So tough time there at the moment. I used to run that trail every week of my college career. My lacrosse team practiced on those fields. Uh, I know exactly where she was found, and it felt like a safe place. The reason it felt like a safe place is because there hasn't been a homicide on the University of Georgia campus for 30 years. And so people are right to wonder. By the way, there was a a mugging at gunpoint on campus just uh, two weeks ago as well. So people are right to wonder whether their local government is interested in keeping them safe. So they have this press conference to ask their local government representatives, hey, what's going on? What are we doing about this? Right? Because we're concerned. Uh, Parents are concerned. Students are concerned. People who lost a friend uh, are concerned. And this guy comes out, and the mayor of this city tells people, literally tells people that his priority is worrying about vitriol from American citizens toward illegal immigrants, not violent actions toward American citizens. Like, he literally says he needs to keep them safe from vitriol. Second, like second or third order priority is the actual safety of his own citizens. I mean, it is wild. He's speaking very professorally, but he's saying insane things. And the people of Athens are right to be angry about this. And by the way, and I think your audience will understand this comparison. Him saying that this is not technically a sanctuary city because the, the state of Georgia doesn't allow us to be a sanctuary city is like Randy Weingarten saying she did everything to get schools open. Right. Same thing. You can say that, but all the all the priorities, all the policies that you have stated on tape, the mayor's on tape saying it. The D.A. is on tape saying it. The sheriff is on tape saying it. The D.A. got elected based on saying that she would be concerned about the collateral consequences of arresting undocumented immigrants when they came under her watch. Right. Well, the collateral damage now is a young woman's life who doesn't get to live past college like I have. 
I've had so many years of memories. Her family loses out on that. She loses out on that. Her friends lose out on that. And this guy is talking about how Trump and rhetoric from 2019 keep him from doing his job. It's wild. And unacceptable. And by the way, the president of the United States ignores the whole thing, does not bring up Lincoln Riley's name or talk about the death at the hands of an illegal immigrant. They already committed crimes in New York and just took off to Georgia afterwards. So he does not bring that up at all. But he talks about the reduction in crime. To me, that's unacceptable. I want you to hear from with this Athens, Georgia's resident and father of five had to say last night about the mayor of Athens. He's a resident there. Cut 13. This mayor is a left-wing nut job into wokeism. This mayor has violated his oath of office. He is supposed to protect Athenians, citizens of Athens, not protect illegal criminal aliens. And by the way, they're not illegal immigrants. Immigrants are people who come here legally. These are criminal illegal aliens. I was mad and upset over this senseless murder. To my surprise, there were a lot of supporters. I didn't know them at all. We met for the first time, and and they spoke up with me. And the reporters were pretty pretty not abrasive against me. So, I mean, this goes across party lines. You have in New York City now a Democratic mayor saying we got to change the way we approach sanctuary cities. Now the White House put out a statement saying we're calling for more cooperation with ICE. Think about how far (laughs) we've come and what it's taken to get some logic into government. Well, and again, that's what's terrible about this is that it it takes escalating to murder and rape, hugely violent, awful crimes to get people who are in power in these Democratic-run cities to actually do reasonable things. These are very reasonable things. That's why that, that man is surprised that the, the reporters just sort of echoed his concerns in question form. <laughs> but it's because it's a very rational thing to be concerned about people's safety in this particular situation, right? So the reporter's like, yeah, like, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> um, but yeah. it's so sad that it has to escalate to this because this is their function. The the function of a government is to let you live safely to pursue your own liberty, right? Your own citizens. And people ask this man at this press conference, this right. mayor, are you interested in that? And he's like, no, I'm interested actually in, in protecting illegal immigrants from you. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah. And, and I'm worried about Charlotte, Charlottesville. Un- incredible. Yeah, yeah. Still holding oh, on to backlash. this. Right. The backlash. So, so Mary Catherine Ham, our guest. So, Mary Catherine, as you know, this mayor says, you know, it's time to reform some sanctuary cities. ICE has got to be able to cooperate and inform us. Not the massive thing that you and I would do, but it shows a change, I think. Yeah. So this Adrian Adams is a speaker in New York City Council. They are the left of left-wingers. Listen to her when asked if you're going to respond to the mayor's request. Cut 11. We are not considering laws, changes to laws. These laws have been in effect for decades. We believe in them. We also feel that public safety, of course, is of utmost importance. But when we start refuting back to times where, uh, where, where migrants, immigrants um, feel threatened, we don't just have one ball of wax. We have an entire picture of a scenario, of a situation. And if the council were to change things, it would impact more people 
I believe, um, negatively than a small fraction of what we are looking at right now as far as this scenario is concerned. Do you believe this guy, this clown? I'm not even sure what she's saying. Well, she's saying that I'm worried that just because there's a few criminals, it doesn't mean that, that we, we want to open up danger. other people to be deported because they're just I here mean, illegally. This is, this is their calculation. And so when American citizens go, it feels like you care more about illegal immigrants than you do about me. They're correct. They're correct. <laughs> That's what they're saying out loud. One of my favorite moments from the pandemic that sort of like threw me for a loop was when US, um, uh, LAUSD uh, public school teachers went to shelters to teach illegal immigrant children in person when they wouldn't go back in the classrooms. And I was like, there it is. That is the crystallization of liberal policies, right? No, we will serve them in person, but American citizens, mm, we can't have anything to do with that. We can't have anything to do with that. That's their priority. And people should notice that. So that's so much... I think of the things we're discussing now, unlike different times when I've spoken to you, different opinions on Obamacare, you know, different uh, different opinions on uh, on on the surge in Iraq. You know, OK, I can get both sides of it. Some of the stuff we're arguing about is so idiotic and it's an absence of logic. I mean, little things like am I really talking about women play uh, men, men who call themselves women playing against women in yeah. sports? Am I really talking about a Vermont team that refuses to play against a transgender male because they're afraid their people are going to get hurt and them getting suspended? Am I really talking about am I really talking about turning over hotels to illegal immigrants while denying people their basic services and overflowing classrooms? I mean, these are the easiest answers ever. It's an open book test and nobody wants to open the book. (laughs) No, it's true. And I, I find myself reacting and trying to react in like a mature fashion and to intellectually address these concerns. But sometimes I'm just like, y'all are acting crazy. Y'all are acting very, very (laughs) crazy. And I don't know how to address it. And this is one of those situations. I would also note on Twitter, uh, the not small amount of support for a man self-immolating for a cause, which I felt was like, Oh, we're really going down an unhealthy path here, guys. Well, I think Uh, you should back up a little bit. So you're talking about a unbalanced soldier who, Lit yeah. himself on fire because of the war in Gaza, right? Yes. And and then Tom Cotton is trying to find out how is this guy able to serve? He was a left wing right. nut job to begin with, and who the hell would ever light himself on fire? And mm-hmm. in America for Gazans with some of the same lunatics on campus. So that's who you're referring to. Yeah, and, and mean and then after that, my, actually to my surprise, I think I can't be surprised, and then I'm surprised, Brian. I go on, I log on to Twitter and, or X as they call it now, and there are like certain, like lefty activists, not like prominent people saying this man's act was one of courage. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is what living your values looks like. And I was like, no, that's what dying your values looks like. And we should not be valuing that. Um, but this is a mindset that has crept in for some people who are, Consider thought leaders in this country, and that is a thing that I can't relate to at all. I look at that argument and I go, I, I, this is disturbing to me. That's disturbing. So I want to bring you back. We had Jay Johnson on the couch today. He's a relatively even uh, logical thinker from the Obama years. Now, whatever you think about Barack Obama, his policies were light years better than Joe Biden's. And I asked him this question uh, right at the end before we let him go. 
President Obama have ever allowed it to get this bad? Um, President Obama, I mean, of course, that was a different times 10 years ago. Um, he did not mind to a point, I think, uh, the, the aggravation we'd get for strict enforcement because we all saw at the time this was the path to fixing the system overall. So you heard that long pause. So I'm not even dealing with Democrat or Republican, like how much of the wall you should build and what what should be look like. You know, uh, so we're dealing with we let everybody in for whatever reason and we just catch and release. And there's no facilities and NGOs are financed with our taxpayer dollars and all hell is broken. He's even saying he's doing everything he can not to say Joe Biden totally has let the back door open. Look, I I think the reason Obama didn't let it get this far is because he's a smarter political creature. Like, do I think that the lefty movement that backed Barack Obama and Barack Obama probably himself believe that open borders is basically a societal good? Yeah, but he's a political creature who was like, well, I can't let it get too bad because I got to deal in the real world, right? Um, And now we're living out the vision. This is the vision that like much of the left has had in its hearts that we would that we would just open it up and there would be look I used to be a moderate on immigration yep. they turned me into a hawk Brian <laughs> I, I am a hawk now I <laughs> same with like, me it's like it y'all didn't have to go here but you lost me uh, I was I could be for a dreamer situation where we show some sympathy and empathy for people who came here before they were of age I, I gotcha nope I'm in a different place now. Because you guys let the floodgates open. This is chaos. Uh, not having some sort of order is not something I can sign on for. I hear, I, I hear you. Tons you remember, of people who agree. Remember when President Trump said uh, when he came down the escalator, got to get build a big wall. You know, they're, they're not sending us their best. This is what yeah. he's talking about. No, Venezuela emptied their maybe, prisons. I know. I know. It's a real thing. Um, and I, look, I want to be rational about it and, of course, say – that every person who comes across the border is not going to commit a violent crime. But when they are coming across in millions, unvetted, when many of them are military-aged men who do not have jobs, uh, that becomes a problem because that demographic is more likely to commit violent crime, and we're seeing it, right? So I would like to, like, redo the statistics that people like that mayor always always refer to and say, like, these are not related at all. And uh, I'd like to get an update. On those, because I think they're becoming more related because you have changed the profile of the people coming into the country and the number of people coming into the country. I hear you. Uh, Mary Catherine Hems going to be interesting. What do you expect to come out before I let you go of these dual uh, meetings with the press at the border today? Um, some assault on the English language by Joe Biden uh, is always to be expected. Um, so- see a lot of mumbling. I don't know. I don't I don't think he's going to learn anything down there. I think this is an attempt because he knows everything. He can be briefed on all of this. I think this is an attempt to lay at Republicans' feet uh, like unbelievably uh, that they, that we have a problem at the border when he could solve it with executive actions that he removed after he came into office because they're just governing in opposition to Trump policies, which is not a smart thing to do, especially on the border. He could have he could have had a better situation, but I think he wants this one. I hear you. Mary Catherine Ham, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Have All a right. good one. All right. That's some of the insight. We're going to finish up uh, with some final thoughts for this hour. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job. My colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November, and they take the helm next January. It's time for the next generation of leadership. So that is with that, Mitch McConnell steps aside. I think a few things have to go into this. Number one, he is having huge health issues. Number two is he's not on board with Donald Trump, but to his credit, he's politically savvy and says, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to support the nominee, whoever, whoever it is. He also knows, too, that Donald Trump insulted his wife. That's the problem, who left and criticized him after January 6th. So that's the issue. So he can never really say Donald Trump, it, let's bygones be bygones unless he apologizes to his wife, I think. Anyway, I don't care what side you take on that. So it comes to an end. So with him, he's going to finish out his six years. Another thing to give Mitch McConnell credit for, he knows, too, that if he steps aside, a Democratic governor is going to appoint his replacement, making it tougher for Republicans to get the Senate. Guy likes working. So he stays in there. They get the majority, which is going to happen, I think. If you look at what's happened in Montana, they got a legitimate shot with Mike Rogers in uh, Michigan. And then you got Jim Justice in West Virginia. I mean, now you have Larry Hogan with a solid shot in Maryland. Uh, Who knows? I think Dave McCormick's a great candidate in Pennsylvania. Uh, So Mitch McConnell's not going to, you know, kick the Senate to the curb and say, "Okay, I'm done, even though I'm 82. Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.